Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here for the second time. Don't worry, I'll explain that in a minute. As we look back on the week of July 11th to the 17th, the famous date, July 17th, because we all know back in July 17, 1955, was the first time the world walked through the front gates of Disneyland. What do you say? Let's look back on the week that was and uh, sit on a park bench on Main Street, USA, and look back at the week that was and share a couple of little interesting things about my interesting week. And I'll start here with my interesting week and why we're going to just sit on a park bench this week. I've said week too many times now in a row. But the soundtrack will stay here because you and I, we're going to sit on a bench and we're going to talk because uh, Sunday I had an insane day at Disneyland and I'm still tired from it two days later. And I recorded our conversation, our weekly lap. I recorded it yesterday. And at the end of the hour plus amazing conversation that we both had out of pure exhaustion, I closed a window that I thought was like a little quick record patch that gets plugged in. And I said, no, don't save. Being so exhausted, I didn't realize I said, no, don't save to the hour and 10 minute no take conversation that we had. (laughs) Friends, I've put out over 1600 podcasts in my tenure of over a decade of recording podcasts nearly daily. And uh, that's the first time I ever threw away a complete recording And so then I tried to do it again, and I just felt like I was trying to say everything the same way that I did. And I said, you know what? This is a really good sign that you're tired, and you should go take a nap. Because you really borrowed too much fun from the future yesterday when you rode the Disneyland Railroad from 8 a.m. to, spoiler for the video that'll be coming out soon, past midnight. That's right. 16 plus hours transforming into the Trainiac. But hey, before we get into that, let's look back on last week at Disneyland. Look, it's Disneyland. So last week was a very, very slow week, and it feels like it's going to probably be pretty slow on the news cycle from here on out because everything that would normally kind of just fall into the press, the official press that then trickles over to the fan atmosphere, you know, the fan content, which is where I exist in, and that's going to be all held back so that D23 can feel as impactful as possible. So Monday, July 11th, the big news was car locator feature coming soon to the Disneyland app. And let's kind of talk about this for a minute. This is technology that would have been mind-blowing a decade ago. But really, at this moment, so many of us have cars that already can tell you exactly where they're parked. If you have any car that has, what is it, uh, Apple Play? Or, yeah, that's what it is, right? Where your iPhone can sync into your in-dash control. It'll tell you where you parked your car. It'll put it over on your phone. But... The technology that I miss as we're getting into this more digital version of Disneyland and the the analog is all slipping away, there's some great keepsakes, some great traditions of the past that have slowly just went away and, and I miss them. And one of those is this. My way of tracking my car for years was walking over to the column 
nearest to me, taking a photo of Mickey, you know, 3J or 3D, whatever I was at. And a little bit of a fun fact about the Mickey and Friends parking structure, because I'm a psycho and I've studied the park from top to bottom, but the parking garage is longer than it's wider. And I'm defining long as the length that it runs down parallel to Ball Road. And I'm defining width as if you were standing in front of the parking garage on Disneyland Drive, Disneyland Way. And if you're able to do this, this is the best way to park in the garage. A lot of people want to get as close to the escalator as possible because they're thinking, oh, I want to get in the park. I want to rip. And on the way out, I want to be very close to my car. But a little something to think about. If you go as close to the escalator as possible, there's more cars, which will tend to put you further down the line. So if you think, oh, I'm in the first row, but at the very end, and you think that that's close, not actually. You're actually quite far from the escalators and how you transfer down to the trams. The plan is to park on the first lane available that will get you closest to the front, right? So if you can, right when you come in the garage, just go ahead and turn up that first lane that everybody else is skipping. And if you can work your way up to at least the the last 25% of that, so you know you're going to be looking out at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, that width walk is a quarter of the full length of the garage. So I always try to park as close to the front as possible, which makes it an easy walk over the escalators. Hey, I told you it was a slow news week. We're talking about where to park in the garage, but we'll enjoy this on the week when it's too much going on, too much fun from the future, and there's not a way to fit it all into one sizable recording. But what I miss most about the old ways of parking before it was on a nap Do you remember the cardstock thick parking tickets we would get that had a system on it, had all the characters' names, which each represents a different floor on the parking garage, and then below that, there was the alphanumerical. So you could say Mickey, put a line through it, and then you could go down to um, 3D, and then you knew exactly where your car was. But even though many of us found it easier than to carry around that ticket all day to just take your your phone and take a photo of the nearest column, knowing that, okay, I'm basically in this area. I walk over there and back in the day, all right, there's my black Honda. I see it right there. Boom, I'm where I need to be. But the best thing about that thick cardstock ticket was it was like a souvenir. And I started to realize there was a couple of them floating around the car. So I did what I always did. I made good use of hairbands. Black hairbands are something that are always sitting on my desktop. They are the perfect device to wrap up anything. Mainly, I use them for cable management, but sometimes I need to bundle together a couple of batteries to put in my camera bag, or I just need to put a couple of things together because they're like items. And I remember like, okay, these envelopes need to get dropped off at the mailbox and get stamped because they have like, you know, payments in them to the to the government or or, or to the franchise tax board. And I need to make sure that I get a receipt that they got their payments in case they go, Hey, we didn't see your taxes come through, you know, that fun adult stuff. But what I started to do was every time I would go through there and they would give me my little cardstock ticket, I would just keep them and I'd band them together. And at the end of the year, I'd have this big thick stack and it would be fun to flip back through and be like, Whoa, I went hard in April and May, June, not so much. 
Went a lot in July? Laid off in August? Whoa, look at me. I love Halloween. Whoa, I really love Christmas. The thick cardstock parking ticket was like an instant like free insider's souvenir. A little fun thing to say that you were there and that you had fun. But post-pandemic, it's now just a little paper receipt. Thin, disposable, QR code, basically just a thing that says, either I paid or I already showed you that I have a valid way of paying through a pass, and you need to let me back in because we went elsewhere for lunch today. It's just one of those sad little fun things that kind of went away. And I understand the expense of the card stock, and it's probably better for the environment to go over to the, what is that called, thermo paper? But uh, yeah, I definitely miss some of the old things of the past before the world changed. So a technology that I think really is two years too late to be impactful, but whatever. It's a slow news week, and it was a perfect excuse to look back on my preferred parking ticket stub. And I bet, listen to this, you felt a little nostalgia, and you missed having a couple of those floating around your car. On Tuesday, July 12th, because it is an absolute slow time at the park, some people just said, hell with it, I'll make up my own headlines. And that's where we started to hear the rumors, thanks to the honorable people, that's ironic, over at WDWNT, who started talking about the idea that the people movers coming back. Now, I'm not going to go into great details about that because I'm always torn between is this a good podcast topic or is this a good YouTube topic? And I don't want people to listen to both be like, this guy just repeats himself. He's just a crazy guy that always says the same three things about Disneyland over and over again. So the part of the story that I think would be most interesting to talk about on the podcast is this. I, I, I'm fascinated about how rumor turns into law and absolute truth. And over the last handful of years, when America went through a very, very divisive political season, there became a lot of people that were literally living under two different narratives. And I'm not here to say which one is right and which one is wrong, but I understand how that happened. Essentially, the algorithm will always show you more of what you like, and it does the same thing for news. So if there's one version of the truth that you are particularly more fond of, the algorithms will find a way to make sure you always hear that version of the truth. Same could be said with cable TV. You find your herd, you find your pack, you find where you belong, and you consume more of that. And slowly, you and I drift apart as we're each consuming a different version of the exact same moment in time that we're each living through. And so, when you look at something huge like American politics that is capable of ripping friends and families and coworkers apart, it's fascinating to see the exact same thing happen on a micro scale in the world of entertainment themed around a children's theme park, as my friends like to refer to Disneyland. So when WDWNT can never get that to come out easy, put out an article and here's the headline in front of me. It says rumor, the people mover will return to Disneyland as part of a Tomorrowland overhaul. Now granted they did say rumor, but typically when you do journalism and you start a rumor, even though you can't say who your source is, you should allude to the credibility of the source. You should say, after speaking with somebody who is familiar with Disneyland construction or Disneyland operations, or speaking to somebody familiar with Disney's press announcements, 
or someone who's familiar with D23's scheduled announcements, you have to kind of give like an like a very broad like this is kind of who the person is. You don't say their name, you don't say exactly where they're at, but you just say someone who knows a lot about future plans or construction or or something that would give you an insight of okay, where did this rumor come from? Because technically, I could tell you anything right now and go, well, there's a rumor. There's a rumor going around that you could win a million dollars while listening to today's podcast. Because technically, you could have bought a Powerball ticket last night. And while you're listening to me, you said, huh, go check those Powerball numbers. Whoa, I just won the jackpot. So technically, you did win a million dollars while listening to the show which makes it fascinating the way that this article opens up. So let's just ignore the people mover for a second because the article starts this way, quote, as you know, Tomorrowland at Disneyland Park is set to undergo a massive transformation over the next few years, end quote. As you know, I don't know that. I read all of the Disney blogs, the local newspapers every single day. And then once a week, I go back and reread all of those articles just to make sure I have a good idea of the content that I'm creating that week and that I stay well informed. Like, I study this stuff like it's the Torah. So for me to go, what? As you know, Tomorrowland at Disneyland Park is set to undergo a massive transformation over the next few years? Yeah, I would hope that's going to happen, but I don't know that's going to happen. So like, before they even get to the fire that they're stoking, there's something to me that is like massively troubling that they're just laying it out there casually. Oh yeah, we all know Tomorrowland's getting redone. I mean, technically with my million dollars analogy, yeah, I'm assuming it would get done over the next few years. But are we talking about D23, 22, and this will happen in the next three years? Or are we talking about over the next 30 years? Because I'll promise you right now, I'll bet you everything I own, which isn't a lot, so it's a big gamble for me. I bet you, friend that they will change Tomorrowland. That's an easy bet to make because they're going to do something. I mean, technically, if I'd have made this bet with you and then a week later, the weird Buzz Lightyear face character showed up. I'm like, oh, I told you. I told you they're going to change Tomorrowland. Now there's Buzz Lightyear there. And technically, when they put a new popcorn bucket in, well, they just changed Tomorrowland. I was right. But the way that this starts out was just so fascinating and troublesome to me. As you know, Tomorrowland Disneyland Park is set to undergo a massive transformation. Well, I've I've heard this before and I've had my heart broken before. Because like many folks, I thought at 2019's D23 Parks panel announcement, come on Tomorrowland, come on Tomorrowland. I know they're going to talk about Tomorrowland. And when the lights went up, I learned a lot about things they were going to do at Epcot, which about half of them that they did. And then ones that they did do, they really kind of scaled back on. I know there was a pandemic in there, but come on. How long are we going to make the pandemic the most convenient excuse when you don't want to do thing or you want to scale back? Because you kind of can't have it both ways. Well, friends, we had a pandemic. We can't do all these things. But guess what? We've got record-setting profits. And by the way, fill in all the dead space when you get into the Haunted Mansion. It's like, which one is it? You know, you can't have it both ways, but you can when it's convenient. So in 2019, nothing about Tomorrowland. But I'd already had my heart broken before because I went into 2017. Sure as shit. 
that they were going to say, here's what they're doing with Tomorrowland. And they didn't. So to think that they're going to say something this time around, I'm just like, yeah, if they say it, it's great. But I don't anticipate it. But what I'm starting to become fearful about, and this is sort of a preview for my hot takes. And if you don't know, normally on Mondays, I do a live stream over on YouTube called Hot Takes. It's kind of like a podcast, but you can just see me when I do that one. And I talk to the audience because the viewers have a chat. And so it becomes a little bit more of a conversation instead of me just sitting here rambling and rambling and rambling, which I love to do. But now that there's other rumors, such as Launch Bay is going to get removed to make room for seating. And there's also been photos of people up on the uh, old people mover, like where it makes the turn around the old home for Astro Orbiters. Like there kind of is some stuff out there that's making people think, oh, maybe something is happening. And then there's also Scott Sorrowridge who put up something on his social media. He's like, I love where I work. And he showed where the dock is for the old motorboats. So it does seem like possibly something is in the movement. But an abbreviation of my bigger thought that I'll say for a later time is this. I hope it's not happening. I really, really hope what I think is possibly getting ready to start happening is not rehappening. And I also think that it's possibly aligned with my predictions that they're not really going to do anything with Tomorrowland for a couple of decades. And I know that's confusing because it sounds, how could you not do something but do something? Let me explain. My fear, in a nutshell, keeping it short, is that they're going to go in there and they're going to poke around and they're going to bring back something like the People Mover or use those tracks for something. Is it a Rocket Rods? Is it a People Mover? Is it a new version of it? Is it like a budget version of it? But I don't want them to do that and I'll explain why. Because using that track system in some fashion means that you're committing to keeping that same layout. Committing to keeping that same layout means that you are committing to keeping a bunch of old, outdated buildings. The only thing I believe that is truly worth saving inside of Tomorrowland is Space Mountain. And it's not even an attraction I enjoy because of my motion sickness problems, but it is an icon and I recognize that so many people absolutely love it and it is just a beacon of what Disneyland offers to ride chasers. So committing to that layout means that you're committing to where everything is at. So then when I think about it, I go, well, my prediction is possibly right. They know that there's really no IP that needs to go into Tomorrowland. So they're not going to really do anything for the next couple of decades. Wait for something big to come along and then use this land that we're sitting on. But what it sounds like they might be doing is creating a patch to get them to that moment. Because it does look bad that more is broken than, than is working. It's very disjointed. It's kind of hard to find a theme. And people really love Tomorrowland. It's always crowded. It's always full of people. And so many people constantly walk out of there going, what is that? And then if you're familiar with the Magic Kingdom, it really creates a black eye for Disneyland. So my thought process is, is and this aligns with the current administration that doesn't like to spend a lot of money, well, maybe we go in there and we fix it for a little while. And then I just say to that, have we not learned from our lessons about fixing Tomorrowland for a little while? That it only lasts a little while. And then after a while, you're stuck with another broken version of Tomorrowland. So even though, yeah, I would like to see something happen there. I think Disney does their best work when they start from dirt 
and build up from a fresh start. Cars Land, Galaxy's Edge, Avengers Campus. Two out of those were built from dirt up. One was, we'll save this building, we'll save that building, and we'll kind of tie it all together. And I think everybody listening, you had to put those three lands in order of which ones are the best design. You may have your gripes with Galaxy's Edge, but you cannot deny that it's beautiful. If you take those three lands and put them together, I'm going to almost guarantee that like 90% of you are going to have Cars Land or Galaxy's Edge as your one or two as far as land design goes. And then number three would be Avengers Campus. So it does seem like something is potentially brewing, but I'm not excited. And I'm not trying to be negative. Like I appreciate them trying to do whatever they can for the park. And, you know, I'll, I'll cover it and I'll go there and I'll enjoy it. But really, I just want the whole thing to be refreshed and rebooted and not another quick fix. Because the quick fixes have only turned into long-term problems. Friends, on Wednesday, July 13th, I did what I try to do every month on the 13th, celebrate my community, which is club1313.com. Those folks that are the subscribers over there, and if you're one of them, thank you so much. They're the ones that make it possible for me to do YouTube and the podcast. YouTube does create ad revenue that you get from your videos, but it's a small portion of the overall earnings I make on my Disney content. And currently, there is no ad revenue on the podcast. So the podcast I only can do because of Club 1313, because as a standalone product, it creates zero revenue. So without them, I would just be doing it for free. And there's nothing wrong with doing things that you love for free, but there is something wrong with not being able to pay your bills at the end of the month. So, you know, I've decided to do this as a career, which means I always have to balance out my time and investment on everything. But what I did do is I put up a video where me and some Club 1313 folks, we went and saw Thor uh, Love and Thunder, as we talked about last week. And I shot a vlog and I put it together and I really kind of wanted to get this point across. I mean, sure, if people wanted to sign up, I'm not going to stop them from spending money and helping me make all of this happen faster and more stress-free. But the real thing that I wanted people to take away from the video, and I did this montage, and if you haven't seen the video, you might like it. I took a song, and I do this thing when I work with music, is sometimes I will take the drum track out of the song, and I can use the beat of the drum as sort of like, that's every time that what people are seeing at home should change. So this time I went very ambitious. I aligned every shot with the beat of, I believe, like the snare or the kick. So it's like a boom, 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 boom. And every one of those booms is a new image you're going to get. So I went over to our private Discord, which is really the the best part about being in the club. I said, hey, share with me group photos of club members getting together. And they did the most massive photo dump, which I had enough photos to actually go, I mean to the beat of a drum for like two minutes. So it was a lot of photos and it was a lot of work putting them in there. But what made it fun was that all of these people in these photos didn't know each other until they found my content and found my Disneyland community that I created. And the idea was this, and I'm I'm, I'm really not trying to make this a sales pitch, I'm trying to talk more about the concept of creation and how I try to align with what I do with the parks mindset in every way. When I found Club 33, what I was really excited about wasn't necessarily like, oh my God, I'm someplace that nobody else is. I was really taken back by the 
community that it had and that these people all had a room that they could go to and see their friends. And I started to learn, like, man, a lot of these people have been club members for decades and they've seen each other's kids grow up and go away to college and get married. And I just was like, wow, it's so cool that there's this community inside of the park. Because you would often think that a place like Disneyland is just full of people traveling from in and out of different destinations around the world. And then lots of locals that kind of come and go. But do you really ever meet anybody there? And if you did, how would you ever know when they were going to come back through? So what I love about this photo montage is it symbolizes that I did what I wanted to do. I didn't want to just do a Patreon where it's like, hey, give me money to make you content, which there's nothing wrong with that business model. It's kind of how a lot of really good content creation is funded, and it's rightfully so. People watch a certain creator. They really come to enjoy that content. They start to rely on it. When you start to rely on content, you should be coughing up a little bit of change to help that person make that content because it's not easy. And unless you have really big numbers, it's not profitable. And so that's how a lot of this really good content comes together is people fund it. And there's nothing wrong with that. You pay for cable, you, you, you pay for HBO. It's the same thing, except for the money really matters. Like a dollar to a creator means so much more than a dollar to a corporation because they have so much more money coming in that you're not as precious. But to somebody that has a hundred people that are supporting them, every one of those people matters and they matter in the way that the content gets created. But I didn't want to just make it like, hey, here's how you can give me money to make more content. I wanted the perk or the bonus to, of course, be some exclusive content, but I wanted to work really hard to make it a real community. And the reason why I chose Club 1313 is I wanted to make it like the blue collar version of Club 33. And ironically, I have a handful of 33 members that are also inside of 1313, which is one of those fun things that I didn't see coming. But speaking of things that I didn't see coming, I thought, okay, I'll organize like a once a month meetup in downtown Disney or here. That was, you know, trying to just be low key with it because I don't ever want to get in trouble at the park. And I don't ever want it to be like, I'm some celebrity that's showing up. I literally just want to be like, hey, here's a day that I'm going to be there. Let's get a bunch of other people there and we can all have fun and rip the park together. But over time, they don't care when I'm there. <laughs> The dream came true. They don't care about me. Mission accomplished. Because they meet up so much on their own dates. And there's a couple of different groups. You know, a mom with a son, a dad with a daughter, a guy that never leaves. And they all get together and they just have these like different little cliques of people that have similar schedules, similar loves of the park. And they just meet up and they rip together. So really, am I proud of the videos I've made? Absolutely. Am I proud of the podcast? 100%. Am I proud of the relationships I've made? Unbelievably so. But the thing I'm most proud is that I helped create a portal where people can make Disneyland friends. And a couple of moments, we'll get into our magic moment of the week right now. There's a couple of moments that have really meant a lot to me. Two that I can think of is a friend of mine, a guy by the name of David, who's like the sweetest guy in the world, who has just supported my content year after year, and it's just become a, a total bud. David lives up in Seattle. He's the type of person that would normally come to the park by himself. And look, there's nothing wrong with going to the park by yourself. But I can imagine that, you know, if you're coming in from out of town after a while, you're like, eh, I kind of wish I had somebody to do this with. 
and seeing David come into town, say, hey, everybody, I'm coming on this date. And to see how many club members showed up to take him around, to, to give him the vibe, and then to surprise him on his birthday. There's video somewhere in the club of the club members singing him happy birthday on the front deck of the Mark Twain. And seeing the look on his face, it's just like, wow, this is such an amazing Disney magic moment. And I had a small little part in making it happen. Did you say that? No, I'm not going to say it again, Siri. Why are you trying to get in the middle of my, my Disney moment? But I had a small little part in making that happen. But the best part is, is it was small. I just kind of made a place for everybody to meet each other for very different types of people to all feel welcome and represented and to come together and do the rest on their own. And the rest on their own is the best part of it. And then a friend, guy named Greg, who I've met through my content, been with me for a very long time, really, really solid dude, came from Australia. He hadn't been to the park since Galaxy's Edge had opened up. He hadn't been to the park for a long time because, you know, Thanos snap. Seeing somebody come from the other side of the planet, from Criminal Island, and going to Disneyland and having all these friends to go around the park and enjoy it with, it's got to be one of the greatest accomplishments of my Disney career. 100%. To know that a couple times a week, People that used to be strangers can now get together and enjoy the park together as Disneyland friends. Hey, it's fun to go there with your friend friends. No doubt about it. That's what the park was designed for. But when you start to have a tribe of friends that you know through Disneyland that are psychos like you, those folks make it an entirely different experience. Because it's not like a friend that's kind of there because... They know you enjoy it a lot or they go every once in a while and you're kind of stuck with the responsibility. Like, well, you go here all the time. Uh, What time should we ride things or Fantasmic or the parade? What should we do when you go there with the other psychos that either want to rip rides all day long or are totally cool sitting on the bench like you and I are right now, man, it's just like an unbelievable way to experience the park. So yeah, I'm proud of the body of work, but I'm more proud of what that body of work has earned. Real Disneyland friendships. Not only friends for me as the creator, but my friends are friends with each other. And just watching that friendship grow, it gives me a small, small taste of what it must have been like to be Walt Disney. To see all these people come into your park and enjoy it together. I'm far from being Walt. I didn't build Disneyland. But I did build a place where people can find each other and enjoy it together. And when you love something, you love seeing other people love it like you do. All right, friends, on Thursday, July 14th, it was breaking news that the Main Street Electrical Parade and Disneyland and Forever were ending on September 1st. Now, this is that type of news where if you want to be negative, oh my God, they're already giving up. They're letting go. They're, they're canceling everything. Bobby Chapik's not spending any money. Or you could be intelligent and go, hey, that means that Halloween's coming. And that means that running Main Street Electrical Parade during Halloween will work against other offerings that they have going on. Because probably a lot of their parade talent will be needed across the Esplanade for the Halloween parade. It's Halloween, Halloween, everybody. Oh, I love that one. Love that so much. And it also means that we're going to be getting the Halloween fireworks show over in Disneyland. 
probably projections Monday through Friday, fireworks on the weekend. So it's just one of those things. Glass half full, glass half empty, or like me. Hey, man, I'm just excited to have a glass. I don't even care what's inside of it because eventually the liquid goes away, but the glass is forever. And I've enjoyed both of these shows being at the park when I was riding the train all day long on Sunday. We'll get to that later in today's broadcast. Uh, I mean, our conversation on this bench. It was cool to see the park back alive. It was cool to see the fireworks from the train and to be able to catch the Main Street Electrical Parade from a couple of different spots on the train. But Disneyland's alive. It's living and it's breathing and things come and things go. We will see the Main Street Electrical Parade come back soon. Maybe they'll see it out on the East Coast. I love people like, it's so weird. Why would they get rid of that after they made that new final float? That, you know, the one that replaced Celebrate America, the one that's themed around small world and diversity. Why would uh, why would they do that? Well, because they know that they're going to use it for years and years to come. It's just a schedule shift. And that's what I think makes Disneyland so special. Look, I've fallen in love with Magic Kingdom. And there's some things Magic Kingdom does really, really well. But you know what we do better than anybody? We do community better than any other park in the world. Because Disneyland has lots of friends that come in all around the planet. From different countries, different states, different cities, far away. We also have a lot of us psychos. They go every week, every two weeks, once a month, every two months, every quarter. And I love the community aspect of Disneyland. That the powers that be know they've got to keep changing the program. It needs to keep evolving. And that's what makes it feel like a real little city. Because the town that you live in, they don't do the same thing every day. At least I hope you don't live where Groundhog's Day happens. Or maybe there would be peace and repetition. But nonetheless... Wherever you live, I'm sure your Main Street thoroughfare puts up Halloween decorations. People decorate their homes for Halloween. Then they take it down. They celebrate Christmas. Then there's a stretch of nothing happens, but people celebrate the 4th or Valentine's Day, Easter, whatever it is. Disneyland, too, reflects the seasons. So, yeah, breaking news, these two things are going away. Or breaking news, new stuff is on the way. How do you choose to look at it? On Friday, July 15th, there was some news that broke that's the news that's kind of out of Disney's control when it became apparent that the city of Anaheim was looking to put together a vote to add a sales tax to Disneyland ticket prices. Now, in one of my videos, I sort of explained all the different perks that Disney's been able to get from the city of Anaheim. And I did this in a video talking about the fallout of the mayor of Anaheim getting caught with his hand in the Angels Stadium cookie jar. And then it also came together that, you know, he was maybe really greasing big business in his own favor for political donations. And in doing this video, I kind of gave an idea of what sort of subsidies, what kind of control that Disney has over Anaheim. And one of the things that they brokered a deal with the city of Anaheim kind of going back to something I learned in research in this video with my friend Gary is that they were doing a deal where they said, look, we will keep putting money into Disneyland. If you guys can give us no sales tax on the tickets for another, I think it was 25, 30, 40 years doing this off of my memory, but it was more than a decade. And so the idea is this, if you, the fan 
don't have to pay sales tax, the ticket price seems smaller, which gives Disney the ability to make the ticket price as expensive as they need it to be because it's just $164 in their pocket. But if it's $164 plus 8%, 12%, whatever it is, I think they're looking to do something nominal like 2%, it does kind of change it for people like, well, it's $164, but when I add on the sales tax, it goes up to $175 or $178 or $182, however the math shakes out. I have done no preparation for this. But it does make it feel and seem more expensive because it is. So even though it's not an expense that goes into Disney's pocket, when there's no sales tax, you can make the ticket price exactly what you want it to be because there's nothing extra that gets added on it. Giving you a little margin to go for a little bit more because that's just it. So why would the city of Anaheim agree to no sales tax? Well, Disney said, hey, we're going to put billions of dollars into our theme park. This was actually a deal they were brokering before Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So the city of Anaheim's like, cool, let's do it. And then they go, okay, cool. And we're going to build Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Something they knew they were going to do. But they'd also guaranteed that they were going to do a huge financial investment within 10 years. And with these huge financial investments, which I think the second one was them already looking at what is now known as Disneyland Ford. When Galaxy's Edge gets built, when you take 14 acres of backstage property and you turn it into theme park property, that's a lot of revenue that comes into Anaheim. More people want to come out to the park because there's a new uh, set of attractions there and a new land based around this IP that people love. So that just brings in more hotel gas, more people buying gas, groceries, spending money at restaurants. So that brings people in. But also, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, that's more maintenance people. That's more people that need to run the rides and operations. That's more people that need to work in those restaurants and those shops. It brings in just so much more money added in a new land. So you can always think about Disneyland Ford possibly putting in a third gate, which I think will happen eventually. Rumor, third gate coming to Toy Story parking lot. I mean, if we can just make them up, (laughs) let's just make them up. But... Eventually, when Disneyland Ford comes, whether it's a massive expansion of downtown Disney or putting in more parks, it will mean more guests, but also more jobs, just more revenue. However, the reason why this sales tax vote is coming up, because I just said, well, they agreed to do it for 40 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever tenure it was. Disney actually backed out of that. The reason why they backed out of it is one of the things that makes me hate this corporation, even though I love the park. And, you know. You can love the content, but you don't always have to love the creator. Michael Jackson, for example. It's hard to fight how good Against the Wall is as far as pop albums go. A lot of people go Thriller. I go Against the Wall. But it's also hard not to argue the guy was troubled. Troubled to say the least. So Disney said, we'll go ahead and roll the dice on sales tax because... People in the city of Anaheim go, hmm, maybe we should do something that if people are going to get certain perks, they should also be forced to pay a living wage to their employees. And something that makes me not like Disney as a corporation, even though I love the park and I am a stockholder, is they will fight tooth and nail on anything that's going to make them pay more to their employees. And I think that is the grossest look that you could have as a corporation that rakes in profitability. 
and a CEO that's always bragging about how every quarter is better than the quarter before. So essentially, this thing was going to get put up to a vote where if you took subsidies from the city of Anaheim, then that means that if you're going to take money from the city, then you need to provide the people in the city a livable wage. They said, not it. Decided not to take the sales tax bump. And they also decided to not build that massive hotel that was going to happen in downtown Disney because that was going to get massive subsidies because the city of Anaheim was saying, hey, we need more high-end hotels in Anaheim. If we can get those, we'll get more high-end guests, which means more money. Essentially, the city of Anaheim is trying to become a resort itself. They want to transform Anaheim into a place where you come to Disneyland, various theme parks, but you also go over to OC Vibe that's going to be at Angel Stadium. They want to do something big with, or I'm sorry, that's with the Honda Center. They want to do something big with Angel Stadium. Like They basically just want to make the entire city an entertainment complex. So more and more people come. Fun fact, out of all the tourists that come to Orange County, and it's a lot, 50% of them go to Anaheim. And Anaheim is like 10% of the overall population of Orange County. Doing all these numbers off the top of my head. But trust me, I'm pretty accurate with where I'm at. Maybe I'm off a little bit here and there. But this tax vote that's coming in, this is Disney's own doing. And so you are going to possibly pay more for a ticket at the gate. But don't worry, they'll still be able to pay less for the workers that make the magic. Sweet deal. Friends, we actually had a busy weekend at the park because the red car trolley came back to Disney's California Adventure, which is going to add that nice kinetic energy that will be going up and down Bonavista Street, ripping through Hollywoodland. You'll never see the train during normal operating hours going to Avengers Campus, but don't worry, at night when nobody's looking, it will go through the Avengers HQ building because there's a large door there and the train house exists on the other side of the headquarters building that they have there. So that is a really great thing to see come back because it just adds vibes. And it's a really fun attraction to do once or twice. If you get a chance to do it, if it's convenient, do it. If it's a very long line, save it for your next time. But I am excited to see the red car trolley going up and down the tracks again. When I was an artist for the Wonderground Gallery, they said, you know, uh, Disney movies are easy to get approval for. If you want to do Star Wars or Marvel, it gets a little bit more difficult. And I said, I don't want to do anything with the movies. I want to make art for you guys that celebrates the park. Because at that time, going back to like 2016, there was hardly any park merchandise. And I explained to my contacts at Disney, I said, the problem is, is that somebody comes here on vacation. They spend thousands of dollars in the park. And then when they want to buy something to commemorate the park, Everything's based off the movies. Like it was really, really hard going back six years ago when I was working with Wonderground to actually find theme park centered merchandise. So because I'm a psycho, the red car trolley was one of the things I love most about DCA. And I really, really wanted to illustrate it, draw it. And then it also gave me an excuse to do Carthay Circle in the background. And then the Tower of Terror. And that thing sold like hotcakes because people were like, oh. <gasps> merchandise it says tower of terror i have to have it because soon it's going to be guardians of the galaxy mission breakout so the red car trolley came back but the big takeaway from the weekend was disneyland's 67th birthday the anniversary 
of sweet, sweet Disneyland being there, coming to life, and just thousands of people every day thereafter, except for 2020, getting to walk through the front gate and escape away to Disneyland. I love it. You love it. We all love it. That's why we're here. But as I always try to find a different way to tell these stories, the anniversary meant so much the year before. Because let's go back two years. Disneyland, being the masters of marketing that they are, were going to reopen the park on the date 65th anniversary. And so that would have been a glorious return to normalcy. But it didn't happen. So the 66 was huge because it commemorated for the first time ever in its anniversary, the park being closed, and a return to normalcy. It was COVID closure time. Not everything was open. Not a lot of people were allowed in the park. And it was one of the funnest days I ever had. That year, I really, really wanted to feel the vibes. I wanted to be in town square. I wanted to hear everybody sing happy birthday. I wanted to hear Walt's voice. And I wanted to just rejoice that my love was back in my life. But this year, I'm not going to say it didn't mean as much, but it meant so much the year before that, you know, I always give that analogy of like, "Eh, be careful about what you wish for on Valentine's Day or prom, because a lot of you are going to proms or New Year's. Like, you know, those those markers like this day will be special. That's always a really great way to be let down, be disappointed. And in the internet generation, it's all about managing expectations. No movie's ever good enough. No attraction's ever good enough. Nothing's ever good enough. Because the hype cycle is so much longer than the review cycle. And people are so hyped up. New Game of Thrones, it's going to be amazing. And if it's not like unbelievably massively successful in the first 10 seconds, then it's trash. So managing expectations is a big part of who I am and how I try to do things. And... People were pumped that it was the anniversary, but it was nothing like the year before because the year before represented so much more that the 67th year never could. So that gave me the idea. Why not celebrate riding the Disneyland Railroad and essentially sitting on a bench and looking out into Walt's creation? So I did a little bit of monkey math and I said, hmm, 67 rides would mean that I would go around the park 16.75 times. I could easily tell everybody I'm riding the train 67 times. And then people are like, well, that's a grand circle and it's 22 minutes. Well, guess what? It's my dumb make-believe thing, so I get to set the rules. And if you look at the Webster's Dictionary, a ride is going from one point to another. Nowhere does the dictionary say that a ride is doing a full loop. A loop is different than a ride. So I decided to do 67 stops. If you don't like the rules, do it your way. But I knew that that was just a flashy way to say, hey, this is how I'm celebrating the birthday. 67 stops, 67 rides for 67 years. But what I was really doing was riding the train from open to close. If you rode the train all day long, How many times could you actually ride it? I only got off a few times. I set a record that I am very, very content with. And all those numbers will be revealed in the video that me and my friend Ethan are working very, very hard on. I shot video footage for 16 hours. You can only imagine how hard that is to edit down into something that's actually watchable and not boring. Because friends, it was 
tedious. When I had become the champion, same month of 2019 to celebrate Disneyland, I rode the parking tram 116 times. A ride is defined as going from the parking garage to downtown Disney. That's a ride. And a lot of times the cast members would let me stay on for a second ride from downtown Disney back to the parking garage. But over 50 times I had to get off and go through security. There was a lot of hustling and bustling, getting off one tram, getting on another. This one's not going to run fast. Get on the next one. The cast members worked with me in such an amazing way. That didn't really happen this time too much. But somehow, the day that you think would be more taxing ended up being way more mental fatigue. Like, just sitting there, doing the same thing over and over again was a fascinating experiment on the human condition. Also, really, really loving something, but over-consuming it in a weird way was another fascinating part of what I learned. But the real takeaway from the day was... I got to be in there all day long. I had the best seat in the house, a front row bench where I could just go around, just watch everybody else do this thing that I love. It was a day that I would never trade for anything. Such a unique and creative way to celebrate the day. And that's kind of what I'm all about. If you haven't caught on yet, there's a lot of people that do Disney content. There's a lot of people that do it really well, and there's a lot of people that do it very half-assed, because it's easy. People love Disney. You just hold up a camera, you show them the chicken sandwich, and they go, whoa, new chicken sandwich. It's what I call the clicking sandwich. But I wanted to come in, and I wanted to do something very different. I wanted to tell the story of Disneyland in a way that I don't feel like it's often told. Emotional when it needs to be. Gut-wrenching when it needs to be. The romanticism of the Disney park, but also not afraid to be a hard fact checked cynic when I need to be. Sometimes I review things in a pretty brutal way because they need to be reviewed that way. The company's not perfect. No company is no person is Walt wasn't perfect, nor am I. And just because you love something doesn't mean you're not allowed to criticize it. But what I've often enjoyed doing is telling different stories inside the berm. Using the park as the most beautiful backdrop to tell stories about Disneyland, about friendship, and about fun adventures. So for me, I know my peers will get <laughs> more views just being like, hey, here it is. They song happy birthday. Here's the new cupcake. Uh, here's the new blouse. And that's fine. There's a market for everything. But I take pride into living a truly adventurous day, a day like none other I've ever spent at the park, a day like, like nobody else has ever spent at the park, and capturing that story and bringing it back to you. And it's fun to think that after 67 years, who knows? Maybe I did something that nobody else has ever done before. And from the comfort of your viewing device, you can go on this epic journey with me. Friends, I'm always trying to find a different way, a different hook, a different angle to tell the Disneyland story. And this was the best one that I could come up with for the 67th birthday. Every birthday is precious. Every birthday is a gift of life. But some dates, some anniversaries, some birthdays are just more monumental than others. It's just the way we're wired. People go nuts for the 50th wedding anniversary. 49 and 51. 
Not so much. We went crazy for the 50th. So I wanted to try to find a fun way to take sort of an off year and really celebrate the fun and adventure that can be had in there. Because that's with the video that we also did where we showed you clips. Me and my bud Ethan, we went through the entire opening day special. I took the first half, he took the back half. We took every shot of the park and we put it into a timeline and premiere. I went to the park with that video on one device and shot it frame from frame on a second device, literally looking into the past as I'm filming the future or the present. I guess it's both the same. Now it's the past. And then we lined it up, put in a music score, used a lot of the old sounds from the TV show mixed in with my current day narration, them talking about the optimism and the hope of what it would become, and me being the voice that could say, this is what it did, how it changed the world. Such a fun way to celebrate the 67 years. But I also wanted to be there on that day to do something special. And I think, hopefully, I delivered. The edit's not done. We have many more hours to go. But I thought here in the long format where I can just speak out my feelings, I would just tell you that it was amazing. So many friends coming and taking laps with me. Friends that I know outside of Disneyland going to the park specifically that day to take a lap with me. And then just strangers, people that kind of loosely know me through the podcast or YouTube yelling at me, Bricky, what lap are you on? 67. I showed my little clicker that I click every time I'd hit a train station. People just were so excited. People on the train that had no idea who I was. People would hop on the train and be like, Bricky, where are you at? I'd be like, oh, this is 55. Oh, man, that's great. And then people next to me were like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm riding the train all day. Well, what's the record? Well, I don't know. Why are you doing it? Because it's stupid. And stupid things make people happy. And stupid things are so fun. Because you show up ready to do whatever dumb thing that you've dreamt of. And you have no idea how it's going to play out. But you know something's going to happen. I love those days. Because they make me feel young. They make the world exciting again. It makes me feel like a kid in the summer when you just would go out on your bike. Hook up with your buds. Rip through the woods. No agenda, no plan, no idea where you're going to show up, but you would always come home sunburnt, happy, exhausted, with a day full of memories. I got to be young again. I got to celebrate Disneyland in a way that nobody's done. I cannot wait to take each of you with me. Friends, this is where I'm going to end today's conversation. Thank you so much for sitting next to me on this bench, talking about the week that was, talking about some of the things that I'm doing with my content creation. As we're learning... This is six episodes now of Bricky Talks Disneyland. And uh, we just look back on the week that was. And by doing that, we get into so many different types of conversations. Now, if you are a Club 1313 member, due to editing the video, I don't have bonus content for you right now. But what I am going to do, once the video airs, I'm going to ask my friend Anna, who was with me the entire day, making sure that I had treats and eats and bottles of water. Anna is a friend of mine who said, you are overwhelmed. Let me act as an assistant with Club 1313 and help you stay organized because you have way too much on your plate. And even though she offered to become an assistant, it's felt a lot more like a partnership, which is how I like things to feel. So I'm going to ask my friend Anna, what do you say you and I do a podcast of bonus content talking about all the behind the scenes, giving everybody the vibe of what happened because 
she saw the process of not only riding the train, but trying to film it, edit it in my head, manage people that want to talk to me or want to meet me for the first time and make sure that they're having a good time, but also making sure I'm getting my work done. Like it's a lot more than just sitting on a bench, a lot more than that. And I would love to share the behind the story, behind the scenes story with you. And I'd love to share it with my bud, Anna, who was there with me that helped make it possible. So club 1313 members look for that later on the week. That is if Anna accepts my Traniac proposal, because obviously I have ran none of this past her because I am a creative and I just live to create and planning is not always my forte. Friends, thank you so much for showing up and having this unique conversation with me. Um, I hope this episode is as good as the one that disappeared, but neither one of us will ever know. I'll see you here again next week when we look back on this week and talk about whatever comes our way and wherever stories we decide to get into. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to having a conversation with you again. Your attention, please. The Disneyland Limited, now leaving for a complete trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom through the Grand Canyon and Primeval World. Stops at Tomorrowland, Main Street Station, and Frontierland. Last call for...